Welcome to the Work-Life Brilliance Podcast with executive coach and best-selling author, Denise Renee Green. Denise fills each episode with humor, compassion, knowledge, and pragmatism to help you transform your life. Listen in and learn how you can tame your brain, lower your stress, and become the person you were born to be. Hey, my friends, and welcome to this very special episode. I'm so excited because I have Dr. Katrina Burris, who is the CEO and founder of Excellent Executive Coaching. She is a keynote speaker, and her work has been used by Nestle Novartis, the World Health Organization, the International Labor Organization, the United Nations, and many more. And she's recently been featured in Mexico, India, Kazakhstan, Russia, and here she is in the United States. She has 18 years of experience as the first master certified coach and founding board member from the ICF in Switzerland. And she is here to talk with us today about a very important topic, and that is jerks. So before we jump in, welcome Dr. Katrina Burris. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you, Denise. I'm delighted to be here. So jerks. We've all worked for one. Some of us have even been a jerk. What got you interested in this and how did you become an expert in this? Well, uh, as a little girl, my parents divorced and my mother remarried uh, a brilliant jerk, what I would call brilliant because very smart, but interpersonally blind. Uh, and I'll give you an example. When I was five years old, of course, I, that's when my parents divorced. And my mother remarried my stepfather, who was called Jean. And uh, he loved my mother. But I alternated between fearing him and absolutely desiring his attention. But I was also longing for recognition. Uh, my, with other people, my stepfather was charming, intelligent, brilliant conversationalist, cultured. And then uh, around 12 years old, I, uh, I was given a beautiful present from my mother who made me feel that anything was possible. And she brought an, a beautiful package to me coming back from downtown. And she says, here, this is for you, my princess. So I opened up the present and looked at the the president, oh, they were beautiful gray silver boots. Wow, I thought, I finally thought I had something to get my stepfather's attention. So I ran to his office to show him my beautiful new boots, convinced that he would like them and compliment me. Instead, he looked over his shoulder, glanced at me, and said, You look like a girl from the streets a prostitute, and then went back to reading his book. Can you imagine? 12 years old, innocent, I was devastated. I did not realize at the time that he was a jerk and interpersonally blind, a jerk, as I call them affectionately. He didn't know how to talk to an impressionable little girl without hurting them. So, I find when I started working that I find that these difficult leaders that have a negative effect on different people exist. And so I was interested in 
working with them. Now, I found out many years later that my stepfather, he had a good intention. He didn't want me to grow up to be a little Lolita or a precautious girl that might give the wrong impression. But he had no ways or sensitivity, interpersonal sensitivity, to, to express himself in a way that I could understand what he was saying and not focus on how he was saying it. So my mission became to help these leaders that you find in the workplace that could be brilliant, but hurt people and cause higher turnover and less creativity. So that's how I started being interested and in making it a mission of mine to help these leaders that I call brilliant jerks to develop their emotional intelligence and uh, be better leaders and reduce suffering in the workplace. When you were telling that story and you got to the part where he told you what you looked like, I felt this huge heaviness in my chest. And it makes me just remember what it's like. I'm so blessed that I haven't been in an environment like that in a very long time. My very first job in corporate America, um, the boss of the department was a brilliant jerk. She was, it was a woman. Um, and there was such a heaviness in everybody's heart. And people would literally go home crying at least twice a week. Um, so the emotional toll is real. I uh, know we're going to talk about the costs, the toll to the bottom line and things like that. Everybody gets it. But how do you fix them? Okay, so I'm just going to ask... <laughs> And then I'm going to let you just go. So how do you fix them? But here's what I really want to know is how do you get them to know they need to be fixed? Because I've literally stopped working with jerks because usually the company will send somebody to me that has no interest in getting better and just wants to blame everybody else for their incompetence. It's not about my problem. It's about their problem. And I find it's very difficult to help those people um, if they're not willing to be helped in the first place. I will tell you the process, but first I want to tell you how rampant and how important the subject is because uh, the Center of Creative Leadership says that 74% of successful leaders have had at least one intolerable boss. Can you imagine that three out of four of you will have had an intolerable boss or will have one in the future? So that's how rampant it is. And... Uh, Yes, uh, the cost, as you asked me, is really stress-related illnesses, as you mentioned. Uh, they also, if this brilliant jerk skyrockets up the corporate ladder, people within the company start thinking that that's the way to behave, to get up in the corporate ladder, and they start emulating it. The other cost is that when uh, a brilliant jerk comes to work in a bad mood. Everyone is reacting according to his bad mood, avoiding him, not saying any bad news, etc. And that uh, has a cost because he will not know about problems when they surge because people will be too scared. And so they, they're less transparent. And then... People don't, uh, in teams, don't express any issue because they're scared of being uh, blamed. And the, uh, he shoots the bad, the per she or he shoots the person that gives negative 
uh, news. So it, it affects the morale at the workplace. And then some people react to the brilliant jerk by passive resistance, finding ways to get back. Of course, all this is not good for the productivity of the company. Needless to say that uh, it increases absenteeism, turnovers, litigation issues, health issues, and even bad press about the leadership in that company. And bad press makes it higher, harder to hire someone. So these are some of the costs. Now, of course, when uh, somebody comes and asks me to coach uh, uh, someone that they value because they are brilliant, there is something about what the company wants. It could be their expertise. Uh, like, for example, uh, there might be a brilliant uh, heart surgeon that the hospital searched years to get and convinced to come to the hospital. Well, he is brilliant at what he does and his expertise, but his bedside manner is horrible, and no nurse really wants to work with him. So they bring something to the company to keep them. It could be that he's a turnaround uh, company and going to implement a lot of changes. So they want him to do the difficult work and say, well, this is the cost of having a turnaround. Well, he's rough, but, you know, that's, that's the cost. So usually these people are so focused on the results they need to obtain, which makes them very good experts, but are interpersonally blind. They don't value feelings or they don't see feelings as being important or they're just simply blind to it. What they want is status, uh, results, their desired outcomes. So, of course, when someone asks them to take some coaching because of their behavior, they're spellbound because why here I'm giving all these results here. I'm one of the best. Uh, look what I've done for the company. I've brought so much revenue and et cetera, et cetera, that they are surprised. So when I come in, I first ask the CEO of the company or the board members of the company what they expect from the coaching, uh, how are they going to evaluate that, what are the consequences. Sometimes the boss of the brilliant jerk of these multinational is an avoidant leader. So in that case, you have to work with avoidant leader to be very clear of what behavior is expected and what changes they want. And they're fearful. Uh, they don't like the, the conflict. They fear that he might, you know, she or he might slam the door and leave the company, especially in a major change effort. So we really have to work with both the, what I call brilliant jerks, these difficult leaders, and the boss of the difficult leader so that communication is improved. And that still doesn't mean that they are convinced that a coach, an executive coach can help them or that I can help them. So I say, well... Why do you think I'm here today? Uh, what's your perception? And that will give me an idea how much he knows and how much his boss has discussed it with him and what he's heard. 
Uh, and then I do an, an enormous amount of research work to see how this leader's perceived and how the relationship with the different stakeholders uh, will perceive how to improve the relationship. So I don't say, what's your strength and what's your weaknesses? I say, what's your strengths of this leader? And how could you improve the productivity of your relationship? So that puts responsibilities on both ends. So that is summarizing the process. So when they get irrefutable data in the greatest detail, because uh, I've done a PhD, and of course I did qualitative research for my PhD, so uh, I'm an expert at giving qualitative research. So I bring that data back, and usually that is the shocking point for them. So what is it about the data that makes them buy in to wanting to change? Because up until this point, they have not had to change. They have been really successful at being who they are, um, and I'm also wondering what role the data plays, but also what role the boss plays. Because I'm curious, do you ever find that the boss is willing to finally put meaningful consequences in place? That if this doesn't change, this bad thing that you don't want to happen will happen? Yes. Uh, and that's uh, often not taking place. So uh, the coach needs to help the boss or the superior or the board member to really express very clearly what the expectations are and how they even will measure it. So uh, that, and if, if that might entail coaching for his superior or superior, the brilliant jerk superior. And, and then, um, so that's the consequences. So you work with them. And the data, you said, why is that? Because it's, uh, I've had executives, difficult executives receive 360 degree feedback. Now, for the listeners that don't know what a 360 degree feedback is, it's feedback from their boss, their peers, and their direct reports. Now, on a scale, on certain competencies that the company wants to develop, and on a scale to one to five, for example. Some executives get this feedback that they're abrasive with their direct reports, their employees, five years in consequence, but nothing changes. So yes, they are aware now, but they don't know how to change. Uh, even if they wanted to change, what made them successful is a certain behavior that's well ingrained in them. And they think that maybe by being too soft, uh, you know, there's not going to make them a good leader. That's an assumption. So to work with them and give this feedback in a very specific, concrete, and to the greatest detail so that when they see the data, they see where the pain points are, what they need to do, and... Um, what behavior they need to change. It's, uh, it's not only the information, it's also then the next step, which I call execute, is working with them to change these behaviors. And often, uh, 
the misbehavior, the uncivil behavior is triggered by something as they, they perceive as a threat. And then they'd go in the fight mode. Okay, uh, like animals that's fight, flight, or freeze, they tend to be in the fight mode. And therefore, they're, but they're triggered to, to that. So it's a lot of work also to see what is triggering them. What is making them perceive the situation as a threat? So that's a, a big part that's important. So basically, it's the, the process is first uh, to see within the company, I have a seven-step process, E-step. The first step is emerge, looking at the company and seeing what processes are in place to clearly define what's the behavior desired and what's the behavior that is not desired and what are the consequences, what's the culture of the company. That's eMERGE. Then you work individually with the executive leader, and that's called EDUCATE. That's self-awareness. Like Daniel Goldman said, if you don't have self-awareness, you have only 4% of chance to have social awareness. <laughs> so. The, you're laughing. Well, I'm just, I'm, I'm almost surprised it's that high. Four <laughs> percent. <laughs> right. yeah. It feels impossible. Yeah. So then there's a whole series amongst which is what the triggers them. And that can go way they're educated, their perspective, etc. So we work on that. And then we go to the third step, which is empathize. So once they have self-awareness, doesn't mean that they have awareness of others or they can put themselves in the other person's shoes. So who do usually these brilliant jerks respect or think that have an impact on their career? It's the boss. So everything they learned in Educate, they start comparing and contrasting with their boss. So that's, that's uh, and putting themselves in their boss's situation. This usually develops understanding, tolerance, better communication, and a knowledge of the difference. And then after emerge, educate, empathize, then we go to the next step, which is expand. And expand is really interviewing what I mentioned earlier, how the lead, his or her leadership is perceived both in strengths and what would make their relationship with others better and what are the potential derailers of the company. But I also, because I'm already doing research work within the company, find out the culture of the company, find out what are the key problems and what are their potentials so that I can also give back to this leader that I'm working with. And if there's non-identifying information of the leader, then I can give some organizational issues to the, the, the boss, but nothing confidential. And then after they get this um, information, then we go into execute. And that is really trying new behaviors. Now they're aware of what they do wrong. They're aware of their seeds of derailment. They're aware of their strengths. So how do you leverage their strengths and address their issues? 
And that is the toughest process because change doesn't come in a linear fashion. They do progress and they might be triggered again. So that is worked on and they, you create new insight into this uh, coaching and, and then gradually the, the behavior changes and they can see the results and the desired outcome are much more better and strategic The other thing is about expand, and that's what I call stakeholder awareness, is that you need to let the system know that this person is working on their leadership because it sends a very strong message within the company that, hey, he's questioning his own leadership. Yes, he is a difficult leader, but look, he's working on himself. Right, the importance of priming. Yes, importance of priming. But, you know, can imagine someone that's toxic that comes up to you and says, look, Denise, how was your weekend? How was your kids? How was your Sunday? You know, it's pretty awkward, no? And especially if they're, he's never or she's never done it before. Right. Why do you care? <laughs> yeah, why do you care? What do you want from me now? So then the leader can come back to you and say, oh, look, you see, it hasn't worked. They're impossible and things like that. So basically, if the system knows uh, you, they will probably encourage the person or at least see it much more positively. So that's expand and then execute. Execute is the, the, the new behavior. But one, one thing I do also to bring back information to the executive is, or the leader of the company, is with his teams. So I work with him and his teams on an objective that they have. I help each team member learn more about themselves. And then when they all get together, uh, I, I talk about the identity of the team. And there I can see the leader interact with the team and that's priceless feedback i'll give you an example there was one fellow that came to me and said look i have brilliant team members brilliant but we make a strategic plan at the beginning of the year everyone says it's okay but at the end of the year nothing has been done together so i work with them individually at least an hour with each team member find out, give them something of value and learning about themselves and at the same time, what, how they perceive the situation. And then when they all get together, I bring up certain issues uh, in a fun way, you know. Uh, and um, then all this information that I acquire or perception, then it's debriefed with the leader. So on the expand it's stakeholder awareness. And then on this uh, empowering the team, it's team awareness. And then, then finally doing the execution and with all this information, what's the most strategic behavior to have? And then the other, the final one, when they've learned so much is how do they adapt their leadership agility to communicate better. And I call that enlightened. Mm-hmm. Uh, because one, now they're aware about their own behavior, 
but how are we going to leverage all this information and new behavior that he's acquired over six to nine months uh, and, and be inspiring for his team? So we work on communication. I get them on TV shows, on uh, how, they, how they would express themselves in their vision, uh, how they can adapt their speaking to all the different styles thinking of learning of preferences so that's in a nutshell the process that makes absolute sense that that would work and i noticed as you were talking you did use a pronoun once he and before you said that i noticed my own non-conscious bias i guess it was conscious i'm very conscious of my bias um, that i was envisioning a man with every example you gave and in your experience, is that more common that the the jerks that are causing the most trouble are men, or what would you say? Uh, I think, you know, most still today, most very high level executives, a lot of them are still men. But believe me, there are women abrasive jerks. Yes, 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 there are. So we don't want to let them off the hook either. They just usually are, they're not as plentiful. Um, yes, have, I would yeah. say so. And I'm going to give you an example if you want. Oh, sure. Let's, let's hear the horror story. Well, this is, again, I want to underline that these people are brilliant and highly valued in some way by the company and are brilliant. So this lady was brilliant, had a corporate knowledge, extensive corporate knowledge, uh, outdid her results in Eastern Europe, which is a more direct type of culture. I'm generalizing horribly. Yeah. But, and then she went and was responsible for Asia. Well, oh boy. Yeah, it didn't work. <laughs> so, direct to collectivist. Yeah. And, uh, but she was very, very smart. And, for example, the feedback she got is that uh, one person said she doesn't communicate well. I said, yes, okay, how does that transpire? How would you notice that she doesn't communicate well? And what does she do? Well, she walks three steps ahead of me, and every time I ask a question, she rolls her eyes and sighs, <sighs> exasperated, because she is brilliant, and she thinks much faster, and she found that question, you know, very like someone that didn't know much. But giving back that feedback, you can see she can react immediately and address that issue. And then there's another example where she was uh, having lunch with somebody and, you know, they were chit-chatting, friendly, enjoying themselves. And then they get a, they get a message that, hey, the big boss is coming from New York to Asia, and we have a meeting. Please, ladies, go quickly to this meeting. So they go to this meeting, and she was chatting and having a good time with this lady. But as soon as she came to that meeting and saw the high-level executive, she began in every argument to destroy her friend's ideas, her friend's concepts. She wanted, again, that underlines that she wanted recognition so badly that she turned around and her friend became her enemy and she wanted to outshine her 
And then she calls me after the meeting and says, look, it's terrible what I did, but uh, I just couldn't help myself. And that's the beginning of the coaching. She's aware, but she doesn't know how to change. Right. So that's where the expand, the execute, the expand is uh, the stakeholder awareness. But now you need to go to the next step is which execute, which is how do you change these behavior? How do you change these triggers? Uh, and and over, find a different way that she gets the recognition she so much desires to the detriment of others. Right. So I, I often just simplify EQ to emotional intelligence to one part self-awareness. The other part is other awareness. But then the part that people leave out is self-management. And so that's what she's now getting into. Now she's asking, making the invitation, help me self-manage myself instead of just waiting for everybody else to change. Um, the example you gave of the eye roll, <laughs> if people get nothing from this other than manage your eye rolls, because the emotion connected to that is disgust. And if you're on the receiving end of an eye roll, and I'm a, I used to be a master of eye rolls, um, and it leaves people feeling so distrustful of you, so beaten down. Um, and it's something you can manage, but it's really helpful when you have somebody point it out, like, like that person walking three steps behind it and say, this is what it looks like. Yes, and that's just one example. Then you have several. And of course, it's very tough because... Uh, she, she, she wondered, can, can you ever change? It's very discouraging. That's the most difficult moment of the process. But then we work on it. And at the end of the year, she was elected as the best candidate for the leadership prize. You see, so wow. I think, and that's my mission is to help people that are brilliant and valued by the company to uh, you know, address the issue instead of firing them or putting them in another department where they're isolated without people. Uh, there's a solution and uh, give them a chance. That's what I say. And, you know, they're smart. I mean, if you can heal this issue, I mean, the, the cascading effect is so huge. And I mean, we know from now um, all the research on the brain research around psychological safety and the costs of when people don't have psychological safety. I'm thinking of Amy Banks's book. She's another PhD, brilliant woman who wrote Wired to Connect. And it's all about the damage to our vagus nerve that happens when we are in an unsafe environment where we feel like it's unpredictable, we're not feeling seen for who we are, and just not even the bottom line. She does talk about the effect on the bottom line, as we can all imagine, but the harm it does to people personally, and you've started off by talking about the cost of stress. Um, so this is such an important thing to work on. So I think the two of us together, so I'm working on the people who have low confidence, but are amazing. And you're working on the people who are overcompensating or overconfident. Is there anybody you won't work with? Like, do you do the interview and say, you know what? They're not ready. They are not willing to be redeemed right now. They're not ready to change. A psychopath or sociopath, because that's really a sickness. Yeah. Uh, there, it's, uh, I need to send that to an expert in that field. So, yes, they're neurotic. Yes, they, 
have an intense desire to be recognized, but they're not, uh, they're not sociopaths. So, yeah. And uh, if, if um, no, I, I think I, I will. Oh, the other reason I wouldn't take someone is that it's too late. Sometimes the organization has already decided to fire someone and they use you as a, making them feel how to have a good conscience. Oh, yes. <laughs> I hate that when somebody, when a leader sends somebody into my program and I do group programs. So when you get that person who's, they've already decided this is just their last gasp effort. It drags everybody down. Let's just, let's just move on. Yes, that's right. And I, and, and my, I love the saying that I, I've created. It says like, when you work with a jerk, you suffer at work. But when you work for a great leader, you're inspired to be a great achiever. And I think that really epitomizes what I try to do. That's beautiful. And it makes absolute sense. And I'm, I bet you're healing marriages too, without even trying. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I don't enter the conversation there, but it can happen uh, that um, it helps. But you know what? I'll tell you one thing, though, which is, is complex about this, is that sometimes they're so abrasive at work, but they're like little mice when they come back to their wife, who's probably even more abrasive than him. Oh, yeah. And then the other uh, cases that I've seen is that they're terribly tough with their employees, but they're submissive to their boss. Mm -hmm. So this is what the research work is so important to really triangulate the different perspectives to really give a, a, a helicopter overview of how this person is perceived and what they do. So what advice do you have for our listeners who work for a jerk, hopefully not a psychopath or a sociopath, but them too, who, who work for somebody like this and that person doesn't yet have you working with them or isn't, isn't in the transformational process? If they're in the transformational process, there's a little bit of tolerance because they're really working on a situation. Remember that they look very confident, but in fact, they feel threatened by certain things. And then that triggers them to be aggressive. It's like, you know, when a, an animal is cornered, they, they start fighting. So their ego is very fragile in some ways. And that's what makes them want to have the status and the recognition because on some level they don't have it so but if if uh your productivity in the company is very low because of a brilliant jerk uh, it depends at what stage it is if you can take the distance and see that the issue is them not you that's already a good start uh, if you feel it's like a virus that's penetrating in your system and it, you begin to stutter or uh, have eczema or can't sleep at night or other, then it might be better just to leave because that, that's debilitating. Uh, I had one, one client call me that was a victim of a brace of boss that was brilliant, by the way. And uh, 
he says, I don't know what's happening to me. Uh, you know, I am a fabulous speaker. And uh, every year I'm asked to speak in front of all the company. And now people are saying I behave bizarrely. Uh, I stutter. <laughs> and I have skin disease all over my legs. So that's when it's critical that they need help. And this person, of course, didn't want help, thought that was a big weakness, but he did. And uh, creating some insight and seeing what was happening sometimes between the boss that was a jerk in some ways and low interpersonal skills and my client uh, helps take distance and see where each one of their brilliance is and how better to handle them. But uh, this happened to that person when he was going through a divorce, etc. So it's accumulation of stress. And how much stress can you tolerate from a brilliant jerk if you have stress at home, if you have financial stress? That's too much for anybody. Like you said, Denise, you know, stress is very negative, And in a certain amount, people just burn out. So... I'm not sure that's a quick and easy answer, but I do have uh, information on my website called excellentexecutivecoaching.com on what to do to stop uh, brilliant jerks' behavior, on what to do in your company to not encourage that kind of behavior. And the next article I'm writing is what victims of brilliant jerks can do to identify one very quickly, and to protect themselves. And I will put that link in the show notes so everybody can find you. And um, wow, um, you're making me grateful to be an entrepreneur. <laughs> yes. <laughs> My days of working for jerks are over. And um, it has been so fun listening to you talk about jerks. And I'm really glad you're out there in the world. Is there anything else that you want our listeners to know before we sign off? I think uh, if you know of a brilliant jerk, I'll be happy to do what I can to make Well, him... I'm going to be sending you a name <laughs> after this. I don't know if there's any appetite on their side, but you never know. Yes. Uh, yes. So it's, it's not only work, the only work I do, but it's the most difficult cases. And if they're brilliant and valued by the company for something, I think it's definitely worthwhile to help them interpersonally. Right. And in, unless they're retiring anytime soon, it's so worth it, not just for the company's bottom line, but for, for the health of everybody around them. Um, and, you know, for their own potential. Exactly. Because for they their own career. Insane. It's just instead of cowering, they're swaggering. So it's a very um, different uh, threat response, as you said. All right. Well, I can't thank you enough for joining us here today. And um, I hope you have a beautiful weekend and um just thank you so much denise thank you so much uh for having me on your show and uh, thank you for the wonderful work that you're doing to help people uh, what with the issues they might be struggling with that's really a very helpful and uh, you're doing meaningful work thank you denise oh, well you're very welcome it's um it's a pleasure and joy for me to do that work so um, i'm very lucky 
All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll put that link in the show notes as well as any other resources you might need on this topic. And have a beautiful day. And thank you for listening to the podcast. Thanks for listening to Work Life Brilliance. If you want to be coached by Denise, join her in the Work Life Brilliance Academy, where wholehearted humans are becoming the best version of themselves. Accepting applications now at wlbacademy.com. Dot com.